Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us. We are continuing to talk about what is happening in the Fraser Valley and parts of BC. We are expecting later today a state of emergency will likely be declared. Right now, though, we are joined by Abbotsford Police Chief Mike Sear. Chief Sear, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely, Joe. Uh, how are things going as far as the evacuation of people who are in the areas that remain under evacuation order uh, in Abbotsford? Yeah, as you uh, have probably heard, it was a very busy night for uh, our staff that have been out there. Uh, and thank you to Search and Rescue. I mean, just an absolutely phenomenal job. Fire Rescue Services as well from across uh, the lower mainland, the route. As I said, 40 properties um, were you know, uh, evacuated uh, last night. Uh, we had three helicopters, 11 boats. Uh, that's continuing today. At one point, we had 120 calls uh, through 911 for people that were waiting for an evacuation. Uh, I can tell you that we're now down as of an hour ago to 49. So we're continuing to work through that. And we're also asking people that if they if they it is safe for them to to find a way to get out of that area without having to you know utilize um, you know rescue services and then please do so. Um, but uh, we're continuing to work through this. I understand that the evacuation order has been rescinded in a couple of areas: uh, the Huntington Village area and uh, west of Sumas Way between the U.S. border and Lonzo Road. That, those areas now under evacuation alert. Is that because the water levels have gone down, or what does it? Do you know what that means for for whatever? How many people are living in that area? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it, as you said, it is now an alert. We're we're constantly reassessing. And, uh, you know, we know the impacts this has on, you know, certainly families and homes and businesses. And also, as you know, we have a very large agricultural uh, industry here. And, uh, you know, we need to also be very mindful of supporting our farmers uh, who have livestock, who are, are trying to access that livestock. And, uh, you know, we're just getting, you know, a lot of calls of trying to, to support that. I can tell you we have an Abbotsford team out right now, PD team, uh, just looking at access routes to try to support farmers, to you know, to, to support their, their farms. But I can tell you that, you know, essentially Sumas uh, going down towards the border, primarily on the west side, those businesses and, and homes over on the Huntington Village area, uh, they are now on an alert. Uh, and do you know at this point, as far as uh, damage, do you know damage to structures or is it too early to, to get an idea of what we might be looking at? Yeah, I do think it's too early. We haven't, you know, certainly our engineering crews have not been able to get into, you know, kind of the key areas. You know, one thing, you know, I think people are, you know, obviously really hoping for the highway and other, you know, major arteries to be open, you know, as soon as possible. But, you know, even as the water uh, recedes, you know, one of our challenges is we do need to get, you know, engineering out ASAP to to be able to access and, and just check on this, you know, stability of those structures. Um, to make sure that they're safe. So, you know, this will still take us some time, uh, but, you know, compared to where we were 24 hours ago, you know, we're certainly seeing things starting to go in the right direction. Uh, We saw some pretty amazing footage of hundreds of residents uh, going out and sandbagging the Barrowton pump as they work very hard to to keep that from from going under and that the mayor has said if that pump goes out, there is going to be catastrophic damage. Uh, Are you involved as well or are police officers involved in monitoring that? Yeah, so as our involvement in the Emergency Operations Centre, you know, we're constantly, uh, you know, back and forth with everybody because as we, you know, discussed, if that pump had gone down, I mean, it would have caused, as we've talked about, very, very significant flooding in that area. And of course, we need to be prepared to, uh, you know, to enhance evacuations and, and, you know, everything we can do for public safety uh, that that goes along with that. Um, Absolutely amazing. I was in the uh, Emergency Operations Centre yesterday when, you know, somebody who is, you know, in construction came by and knew the area very well, had tools, had resources, and, and the fact that they were able to 
essentially build a road into that pump station in very short order and all the volunteers uh, that, you know, built that levy to, to, you know, push the water away from that pump station is, is, you know, just remarkable. And, you know, the one thing, you know, we talk about, you see character in these most difficult days. And, you know, we've certainly seen the character of, you know, the first responders and search and rescue and, and our community um, has, you know, watching everyone coming together to support each other is absolutely amazing. Uh, do you get the sense or have you heard that the, the worst concern of that is over or is there still concern of that pump uh, being taken out? Yeah, so I was speaking with the engineers earlier this morning. Uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, the, we're seeing the waters starting to recede. I mean, you know, they're they're optimistically, but they're they're optimistic, but there's still a lot of caution. I mean, our waters, uh, that area is incredibly saturated. We know we do have some rain coming, um, you know, a bit tomorrow, which we, we, I don't think will be a huge issue, but it's more on the weekend. Um, but still, you know, in talking to people, it's just something we'll monitor. Um, you know, the pumps are working strong, and, and that was just something we were very concerned about. But keeping the water levels below and, and not having it crest over uh, was our primary concern, and that seems to be uh, abated for now, which is, and, and it, it looks like moving forward. So we're hoping that we'll, you know, by later tonight, too, the, the uh, Fraser River has gone down about two meters in the last two days. Uh, if it can go down a little bit more, we'll know more this afternoon. Um, they can open up the floodgates, uh, which will significantly, you know, mitigate some of the risk. All right. And Chief, I know you have to go uh, very shortly, but I just wanted to ask you as well. There have been a lot of calls for people to stop going out on kayaks or going out and and playing or paddling on the waters that have flooded certain areas. What is your message to people who are doing that? Yeah, so I, I've said a few times, and, and first off, I mean, you know, I understand this is a, you know, absolutely, a, you know, a, a huge event, and, and, you know, the images are just incredible. Everyone's seen the pictures, but we do need people to stay away. Um, just to say it again, the water, you know, we are in an agricultural area. This water's not safe. We, you know, when we're seeing children out in kayaks and, you know, in some cases not even wearing life jackets, uh, but, you know, just that water, it could be splashing, and it's dangerous. Um, and then likewise, you know, just to give a quick example, I was on the highway number one yesterday, um, right near where it's flooded and you know a lot of people were coming in to take pictures and take a look and and there was uh, ranchers who were actively trying to remove their cattle um this is their livelihood they, this is you know everything to them they were they were completely hypothermic doing everything they can and we actually had to dispatch police officers onto that highway to clear the highway of pedestrians so that they can move the cattle in a safe way where no one would get hurt and uh you know that's just taking away resources where we could use it otherwise so Please, uh, again, asking everyone uh, to just uh, stay away. Uh, Let us do our job, and the sooner we can get that done, you know, our uh, farmers, our ranchers, and uh, we'll get these roads open and hopefully uh, start to make things happen again. Just a reminder, we are expecting to hear from the Premier as well as the Public Safety Minister in about 10 minutes from now, and we will take you there live just as soon as that news conference starts. We want to talk now, though, a bit more about the specific area of the Sumas Prairie and some of the history that people might not be familiar with. There is a great piece. It is in the Fraser Valley Current and written in part by Tyler Olson, who is joining us on the line now. Tyler, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're the editor and the reporter at the Fraser Valley. Uh, re- re- ah, sorry, the Fraser Valley Reporter. Can you talk a little bit more about this and really going into the history of the Sumas Prairie? What did you find? Yeah, thanks. So, Sumas Prairie is an area. I'm sure many of your listeners know it's an area just to the east of the main delta part of Abbotsford, and it's a farming area through which 
Highway 1 runs, you'll have driven past it just um, west of Chilliwack. There used to be a large lake there, and as I reported with my colleague Grace Kennedy, it is... It, it that lake existed essentially for a reason. Water flows downhill, and for thousands of years, it was kind of the center of life in the Fraser Valley, and it was uh, the center of indigenous life. And it's where a lot of there was a lot of fishing. There was a lot. There was there was cultural activities. There were um, it, it. It was it was where they got a lot of their food, and and at the center of a lot of life, as I. A lot of life, as I said. And then about 100 years ago, there was a decision made by people who had come to the area in the last 50 years to drain that lake because they didn't like the mosquitoes. They didn't like the... Um, some of the transportation challenges, and they found that... Or they decided that it would be more useful as farmland. And so they drained that by using a series of canals and pumps to pump the water out of there and up into a reconfigured canal and and kind of a diking or a canal system that flew that that flowed into the nearby Fraser River and so that's how it's been for the last 100 years it's the bed of Sumas Lake what was once Sumas Lake is around sea level and so when water flows into that area it naturally flows towards that lake bed and there's a dike that ideally prevents that from happening but when you have the kind of weather we had uh, a few days ago that's just not enough to stop that and and so that's kind of where we are now where we have a lot of this man-made infrastructure trying to essentially stop that lake from reforming. And I think a lot of people maybe uh, haven't paid much attention or in many cases probably have never heard of the Barrowtown pump station. We've now seen people that were out with sandbags trying to save it. And the piece you wrote as well really goes into the detail on how important that station is. Yeah, so as I think Mayor Henry Braun said yesterday, the pumps there, it has four huge pumps and they're the largest in Western Canada. And when it's rainy season, essentially, they're all working flat out to keep that lake dry, to keep that water essentially flowing uphill. It pumps that water up a couple meters up into the Sumas River, which is just high enough so that it flows into the Fraser River. And so essentially that pump station is designed to deal with the water that goes into that lake bed on a normal basis. And when you have more water going into the Sumas Prairie than that pump station can deal with, then the water starts to accumulate. And as it accumulates, it gets deeper and and kind of the lake starts to return. The question right now, I think, is just how much water can be diverted to the north and how deep that water is going to get in that old lake bed because we've seen that water flow northeast in that in that valley because that's kind of the natural course of that water. And so we'll have to watch to see how that develops. Uh, you mentioned this in the piece as well, and we were just talking to the MLA with Abbotsford South, and a lot of this was also uh, having to do with the Nooksack River. I know we tend to focus on the Fraser River, but the Nooksack River, obviously a really big player here also. Yeah, the Nooksack is, is a source of where pretty much all the water has come from. So it's fundamental to it. And what's unique about that is not only that 
it flows completely in the U.S. but poses this flood threat to Canada. And not only that, it actually once used to flow into Sumas Lake and then was diverted some unknown number of years ago to the West through natural causes. Um, but that because of when it was diverted, the its old course, which again used to flow towards Sumas Lake, the headwaters of what is the Sumas River flow within just a couple hundred yards of the Nooksack River. So as soon as water escapes the Nooksack River, it flows downhill. And as it flows downhill, as all water does, it flows to the north. It flows to the northeast, and it crosses the Canadian-U.S. border, and it flows into Sumas Prairie. And if ideally there is a dike halfway through the prairie, and if that dike holds, then ideally most of that water goes into the the what is the Sumas River kind of drainage base, their drainage area. And if that dike doesn't hold, which it wasn't yesterday, um, and if just the the banks of the Sumas River aren't high enough, which they weren't yesterday and clearly aren't, um, then it starts to flow toward even downhill even further towards what used to be Sumas Lake. All right. And uh, are you continuing to follow this? I know that this piece was a lot of the history and going into a lot of what you just explained. But uh, like you said, so many people are now watching that pump and watching to see what happens and where the water is settling. Yeah, well, as as Abbotsford's mayor said, and as I think most people can, can see, this is something that's going to be with us for weeks. It's whether the, the water might be with us for weeks. It might take a long time to get that water out there. It will depend how much water goes into that old lake bed. But then just in general, obviously, repairing the damage and, and dealing with the fallout and hearing from farmers who are going to be struggling with losing um, their livestock and sometimes their livelihoods. Um, it, this is going to have a long ripple effect. And I think there's also going to be lots that we can learn from this going forward because this event is one thing from the Nooksack. There's something very similar that could happen in many communities from the Fraser River, which isn't really connected to this emergency, but there's, we've heard lots of warnings that such a flood could happen from the Fraser. And there has been lots of talk about how to plan for that. And dike systems aren't quite up to actually uh, tackling such a flood in that situation. All right, Tyler Olson, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, coming up this half hour, we are going to check in with a dairy farmer, one of many still stranded in the Sumas Prairie area and finding some creative ways to deal with that situation. Right now, though, we're talking with Telsey Campbell in the Hope area, and we're going to find out what's happening with that. Telsey Campbell is on the line with us now. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, take us through how this all happened. And uh, this was, uh, people are stranded, as we know. People have been sleeping in their vehicles. And s- the kindness of strangers has been shining through. Yes, yeah. it's uh, We literally feel like we have had angels on our back this whole time. And we are definitely more fortunate than many. Um, my husband and I, and we have, we have three kids, five years and under, um, we were traveling home from the interior, so Salmon Arm Way. Uh, I have family there. So we were making our way home, and we had heard just as we left that uh, the Coquihalla was on pause. It wasn't closed yet, but because of a landslide, there was a delay. So we headed to Merritt, stopped in Merritt, and then um, 
from there, we were rerouted to the whole Princeton. And then as we got to the whole Princeton, I think we had been in our car with our kids probably about six or seven hours already in like massive amounts of rain. Um, and then from Hope Princeton, as we were kind of checking our GPS and stuff, we were notified that there was another um, mudslide. And so we were redirected again or rerouted onto Highway 7 through the back road of Agassiz. So we actually got onto Highway 7 probably around 10, 10.30 at night, maybe 10 o'clock at night, somewhere in there. Um, and after sitting there for about 30 minutes, our GPS was actually what updated us and told us that the road had closed up ahead. We did not know how um, kind of devastating that was or, or that there was a, a mudslide at that point. We just knew that the road was closed. And so that's kind of where we started. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is an ordeal in itself. But then uh, how did you find yourself or, or where did you end up then that night? Yeah, so at that point, we kind of started to panic because we had been about 10 hours in the car with our kids and we were running out of just water and food and stuff like that. And I have an infant on formula, so we were kind of running out of water for that. So what we ended up doing is we made the decision to turn around and go back to Hope. And of course, the power was out all through Hope there. So it was just like a dark little city with a lot of people turning around on Highway 7 and pulling in there. So there were cars everywhere. So my husband, um, we pulled into a couple different motels to try and see if they were taking anyone in. And one motel was taking people in, but they were full. And another motel wasn't taking anyone in. And we kind of started to panic, more so because of the kids. So we, I called my aunt, and my aunt had actually, through a friend of a friend, heard that um, these people owned an Airbnb in Yale, which at this point we didn't know whether or not we could get to Yale even um, but that was at about 11. We called them and they said they had just actually gotten home from Kelowna themselves. They just missed the landslide themselves in the highway one closure. So they had gotten home and they said, of course, if you can make it here, you are welcome to come in. They have a beautiful Airbnb. It's like an eight bedroom place. So they, we managed, it took us an hour and a half to get to them and it's only 15 minutes from Hope. But we managed to get to their place at one in the morning on Sunday night. And we had cover for the night, which is very, we were so fortunate because many people did not have cover that first night, Sunday night. That does seem, and, and it must have been uh, harrowing to say the least. Like you say, the, the amount of time it took to get what should have been a very short trip. Yes, and no one was on the road in this direction um, coming to Yale. So it was a little bit, yeah, it was a little bit nerve wracking, more so just because of the kids. If it was just my husband and I, that would have been fine. Um, well, I mean, that would have been fine to manage, but we were nervous for the kids. So, yes, we we kind of trekked out here. There was no one on the road from, from Hope to Yale. And then we got here and um, the, the host has been incredible, to say the least. They had their flashlights hanging in the garage and they... You know, they helped us get our kids out of the car and they had candles lit for us and they had a box of dry food when we got here. So um, just incredible to say the least. And since then, they have taken on multiple families because their Airbnb is so large. They have eight bedrooms. So there's another one on the way. So there's now a total of 10 of us here that they're giving um, shelter to. Wow, that's just amazing that to hear about people uh, that have opened up their homes and, and helping people like you that are stranded. Yeah, it's incredible to see. It's incredible to witness um, people coming together to help each other. It's really, really nice to see. 
so do you have any idea at this point? I know they just announced that Highway 7 in Agassiz, it's going to be open to single lane alternating traffic. But do you have any idea when you might get out of there? Um, not for sure. I think um, daily, like even hourly, things are changing and updates are changing. And we've had we've had plenty of people reach out, which is really amazing about the possibility of flights or boats to get home if we need to take that route and then and then definitely the options of highways opening so there's lots coming being kind of offered in our direction which is really amazing as well and we're just kind of sitting tight to make sure that we make the best and safest decision for our family we don't want to get caught in anything else and we want to make sure when we do choose a way to get home it's a it's a safe and secure way to go which makes sense. And and I guess, too, have you thought about what would have happened had you not found the people with the Airbnb and not been put up by them? Yeah, that it makes me sick to my stomach, actually. So <laughs> every time we think about, oh, this is like an interesting situation. This is like hard. This hasn't been easy with the kids or anything. I'm like, oh, we can't even go down that route because there are families upon families that are still um, in their cars right now in hope. Um, which would be devastating, especially the families with children. So we are just like beyond blessed and grateful that we made it here when we did, because I, we would have been in the car for sure. I don't know what we would have would have done otherwise. And have so the again, like oh, I say, we were the lucky ones, right? Have the have the owners said to you anything about how long? Uh, is it indefinite as long as uh, that you need the place that they're willing to yeah. let you stay? Oh yes, they're very <laughs> gracious. They had it. They had their Airbnb rented. Um, this upcoming Friday, they had guests to arrive, and that has already been postponed. And they, again, they're they're taking in people, and basically, they're just as long as we need, and um, kind of they're accommodating as much as we can, and they're not going to rush anyone out of here. So, um, yeah, they deserve all of the all of the celebration. They've done incredible things for people here. All right. Are they charging you for the Airbnb or have they just opened the doors and let you stay there? They, they have just opened the doors. Oh. Wow. What an amazing story. I uh, love the stories of people helping out complete strangers. Chelsea, thanks for joining us and talking about this. And I hope you get to ho- get home soon. Thank you so much. And yes, no problem. Thank you for having me again. Well, I saw a photo earlier today and it shows what looks like some dairy cows. And in the front of the photo, you can see a hand with a jug of milk feeding the cows. And I thought, I wonder if we can find the person whose hand that is and talk to that person. Well, Ben Dooley, our show producer, did, along with the help of Chase producer Corey Latondra. And joining us now is Matt Dykeshorn, who is the farmer stranded on that dairy farm in the Sumas Prairie. Matt, thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us this afternoon. Yes, not a problem. Uh, it's quite the photo. The cows appear to be inside. What's happening in this photo? They are actually in my barn office. Um, I went and checked them at 9.30 that night. And the water had come up so much that they were standing shoulder deep in flood water. And a mature cow can handle the cold water to some extent, but these calves um, would have been very sick by morning. So I did the, I put them in the only dry place I had left on the farm, basically, which was my barn office. And let me tell you, that office will never be the same. <laughs> no, I, I guess not. But what uh, an amazing thing to do. How are they doing now? Oh, they're, they're loving life. They turned the heater on a little bit in there and uh, threw out some hay, and they're, they're doing great. 
How are things going there right now with the flooding and the water levels? Uh, we are on the west end of Sumas Prairie, so our water level is starting to drop now. We've probably dropped close to three feet since the crest Monday night. Um, so we're Monday night, all our cows were standing in water. There was nowhere to lay. There was really nothing to eat. Um, it was it was pretty rough. But yesterday, the water started to drop off pretty fast, and we were able to milk the cows last night. And uh, the the cows' beds were exposed this morning, so they were laying down. Uh, we were able to get them some feed. So it, there is still a, a phenomenal amount of water to drain uh, from the farm yet, but we are. We're trending in the right direction anyways. And were you under an evacuation alert or order at any point? Uh, yeah, the entire Sumas Prairie is under evacuation order. So, yes, um, we were under that order. But our farm is on a ridge, so we, we figured we'd be okay where we are. And I just couldn't bear the thought of abandoning the herd. Right. And I know a lot of people were in the same situation and didn't want to abandon them. We heard earlier from the agriculture minister saying that, unfortunately, there has been a lot of loss of livestock, loss of animals. Are you hearing that or seeing that? Yeah, I've, I've heard that as well. Um, we actually have a poultry farm as well, and uh, our bottom floors were flooded. Um, there's, there's just nothing we could do. My dad tried sandbagging the doors, but the water came up three feet into the barn, so... Yeah, there's there's going to be absolute carnage. There's no doubt. So, um, did you lose despite poultry? our best efforts? All right. Sorry, did you you lose poultry? Did you lose birds? Yeah, we lost uh, basically half the flock, the whole bottom bottom story of the two story barn. Uh, it's it's just awful, and I mean, seeing the pictures is one thing, and, and the video coming out of there. But uh, I can't even imagine what you're seeing and what you're experiencing there right now. Yeah, the the pictures don't do it justice. Um, no, it's uh, it's hard to explain for sure. Uh, do you think there could have been more warning or would that have helped as far as you and others in that situation trying to get to higher ground and to save the animals? No, um, we probably watched the forecast as close as any of the uh, emergency operation centers. Um, we recognize the risk we're in to, uh, from the Nooksack flooding. So we were aware the Nooksack was rising and that it was coming. Um, we, we made a conscious decision Monday morning that, no, we were going to keep the herd where it was. We had an opportunity to move them. Uh, we thought it was in the best interest not to. Um, and now it turns out that the farm we would have moved them to is probably in worse, worse shape than we are right now. Um, the, the flood of 1990 was always the, the pinnacle flood for this area. Um, we, when I built my last barn, I built it a foot higher than that, thinking it would be okay. And the water came up three feet higher than the 1990 flood. So this is just completely unprecedented. There is no way to prepare for something like this. And you mentioned that the the older cows are better able to to be in the water and able to fare that. Can you describe it though? Because we're hearing as well uh, that the water you know is mixing with manure piles and it's it's dangerous to be exposed to it. What is it like? Oh, it's the water is disgusting. Absolutely. Um, it's basically, it's taking everything in its path. Um, so yeah, there, there could be some, some huge health challenges going down the road. At this point, we're just focused on keeping them alive, but there, there may be fallout from this for, for days, weeks, months to come. 
Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you were able to milk the cows that you could. We saw earlier today the, the milk board suggesting that farmers dump that. Is that what you have to do? Yeah, I'm able to milk the cows. Um, but like yesterday, we were milking with uh, bucket milkers. We actually had a, a crew boated in with portable milking equipment. And uh, we milked the cows and we dumped it in the alley and then we milked the next one. So I dumped probably a couple thousand liters of milk yesterday. And, and yeah, there's, there's more. We milked them again this morning and, and that all got dumped as well. And you mentioned, though, on, on a brighter note, that the water has gone down a bit. What do you do now as far as even starting cleanup or how do you even begin to tackle that? At this point, the water really hasn't gone down enough to start cleaning up. Um, we've had countless offers for help once that, that time comes, but we're going to end up basically just purging the farm and, and throwing out a lot of, probably a lot of tools, a lot of parts, um, stuff in the garages that yeah, have just been ruined by water. So it's, it's going to be a long process. It won't happen overnight, but uh, we do have the support of the community, so we're, we're grateful for that. All right. Well, Matt, thanks so much for joining us and talking about this. Uh, I can't even imagine again what what you're up against, but thanks so much for uh, taking some time with us. Yes, not a problem. Thank you for the interest.